The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get into the word as I was saying the, the word of God has this as a promise an identification that the word of God is the power of God to save for all who believe I mean I want you to think about that for a second before we get started and I don't want this to become a message but it's the power of God to save not just to be saved or be born again but to save in every situation in every circumstance in the midst of having gossip and slander spoken against you or in the midst of of, of devastating Uh, a financial crisis and all of these things that might come your way, you have an opportunity to experience, to know, to put to practice the power of God, the power of God to save in any one of those situations. I love the scripture. I don't just see it as a book that we're meant to memorize for religious purposes or to use in our ceremonies. Everything that we celebrate in the scripture is meant to equip us with the strength and the character and all that we would need to stand in the face of adversity and see victory. It's the power of God to deliver. It's the power of God to save to all who believe. Are you a believer this morning? Oh, I'm a believer this morning. I mean, I believe. I mean, ask yourself that. You don't have to answer it out loud. I'm not trying to to rally a crowd because we could do that, but I really do. Ask yourself, do I believe this morning? Am I believing that as we get into the Word, I'm going to receive something that can help me to overcome, that can help me to have victory, that can help me to live as light and not as darkness, that can help me to live in victory and not in shame? Do I believe this morning that as we open up the Scripture, as we begin to examine what God says, that something incredible can be imparted to me that can make me victorious? I believe. So I want to encourage note-taking. We talk about this every Sunday, and we'll keep it brief, but write some things down. If you don't have note-taking materials, I'll bet your neighbor's got some. You can just tell them that the Word says that you're supposed to love your neighbor. Now, can I please have some paper and a pen? Note-taking materials. We write stuff down because it helps it stick. We write stuff down so we won't forget it, and we write stuff down so we can revisit it. Revisit it. If you want to visit these things in your own time, I strongly encourage that because we're going to hear something together today as a group. But when you revisit these things on your own, in your own time, I promise you God has something very specific, strategic for you. God loves you that much. He'd love to get some time with you and let these things transform your life. So here's a few things we're going to find, a few things that we're going to find as we go through the Word together. I like to encourage you to write these things down, things to look for. So if you want to write them down, you're welcome to. One, we're going to find what the world wishes for. What the world wishes for. The world's wishing for something. What are they wishing for? Now, you've heard us talk about, you know, wishing versus hoping in the past. The world is wishing for something. Remember, wish just means to to desire. Wish just means to want. But to hope means to anticipate. It means there's some element of promise attached to it. Like Thomas mentioned, I might stop by his house. Well, if he were wanting me to stop by his house, he would be wishing I'd stop by. But if I told him, hey, later on today I'm coming by, 
he would be hoping for me to stop by because there's some promise that's attached to it, some commitment that's attached to it. We have the scripture, so we have hope. God has blessed us with hope. It belongs to us. But the world's wishing for something. We're going to find out what the world's wishing for. Another thing that we're going to find is what we must be aware of. Now, when I wrote this down, it really doesn't mean anything to you, but I put MUST in all caps, M-U-S-T, all capitals, MUST. MUST is an absolute here. This isn't a suggestion or a recommendation, like if you want to have a deeper walk with Jesus or if you want to become an elite Christian, which there's no such thing, by the way. This is a must for each one of us. We're going to find out what we must be aware of. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what God has given us. God's given us something really great. We're going to find out what it is that he's given us. So I want to get into the word. We're going to jump right into that first thing, you know, what the world is wishing for. What the world is wishing for. If you have your Bibles, you can open to the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 12. What the world is wishing for is what we're going to see. Now, in the Gospel of John, there's a lot of things going on. And in chapter 12, that's no exception. Chapter 12 is filled with activity. Now, leading up to where we're going to read, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is on his way to celebrate the Passover. This is going to be the time of his betrayal. It's going to be the time of his crucifixion. It's going to be the time of the resurrection. The complete fulfillment of all that God sent him to do is going to be taking place in just a few days. And as he enters into Jerusalem, people are shouting and they're celebrating. They're crying out and singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now that's really important, by the way. Hosanna to the Son of David. you got to keep in mind that Joseph... The whole world would have seen Joseph as Jesus' father. He was in lineage with David. He was in the line of David. So you have an entire community, you have an entire nation who's looking forward to being liberated from their oppressors and they're turning their eyes to who they believe can be their king. Jesus is in the lineage. He's in the bloodline of David. Jesus is qualified to be the king. And all of the mocking that's involved in the crucifixion, the beating and the spitting and all of those things, you realize the Bible says that they blindfolded Jesus and they gathered around and they took turns walking around and hitting him saying, prophesy, which one of us just hit you? Isn't that sick? And in all of that mocking, something happened, but it wasn't mocking. When they nailed him to the cross, they hung a sign over the cross that said, this is the king of the Jews. You know, that wasn't mockery. That was true. This is where the lineage of David will get you right here. This is the king of the Jews. That's why when that sign went up there, all the people who had no problem with the spitting, all the people who had no problem with the punching, and all the people that had no problem with the whipping and the beating, all the people that had no problem with that, when that sign went up, they said, hey, take that down. But it didn't come down. It was true. So Jesus is entering knowing all of these things are coming. People are aware that that he's done wonderful things. In the timeline, a man was just pulled from the grave, four days dead. Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes out. All of this is documented. It's history. It's real. It happened. It turned an entire nation upside down. And in this case, a city, Jerusalem. 
And as he's coming in, everyone is coming out to see. Some are coming to see because of the works, because they've heard of this man. It's as if a magic show was coming through town and they had interest. Others are coming to see because of their desperate need. They heard that this man can raise the dead, and I have loved ones who are dead, and I'd like to see them again. So they're coming out hoping that they can have the same experience. But people are coming, and there's celebration. A nation is desiring to be liberated from their oppressors. I want to begin to read from John chapter 12 in verse 20. In all of the party, in all of the celebration as Jesus is coming in, this obscure passage of Scripture stands out that reveals everything that the world is wishing for. While a nation had hopes for a king, while a nation had hopes for freedom from bondage, while a nation had hopes for liberation, the world was wishing. And this is what the world was wishing for. Verse 20 says this, Now, there were certain Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. Now, that's Passover. That's all taking place in Jerusalem here. And for this to make sense, you have to understand that Greeks were not Jewish. These were people who were outside of the Jewish faith. But yet they were drawn to it. There was an awareness that something is real here and we want to participate in this. That represents me and you. We're what the Bible would call the Gentile. And the wonderful thing takes place when we become believers. We become, as the Bible puts it, grafted in. It means we become included in all the things that God's done all the way back from the very beginning. With Abraham being the father of faith. Now something is spoken here and it's revealing what the world is wishing for. Now I want you to stay with me because we're going to establish our foundation that we're going to build on this morning. Now there were certain Greeks and they were going up to worship as well. And these came to Philip. Philip is one of the disciples with Jesus. And they came up to Philip and they asked, now this is what the world is wishing for, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That statement right there is a representation of a statement that the entire world would make. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I've got news for you. Right now, there's an entire city that is aching with that same request. An entire city that would say, People of Champions Church, we wish to see Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. We've heard about the things that He's done. But it's not enough that we've heard about them. We don't need more bedtime stories for our children. People of Champions Church, we wish to see Jesus. What a powerful request. And it came to Philip, and Philip... Here's this request. Here are these that are coming from the outside. They've heard of the things. They don't know the things, but they've heard of the things. And now they're coming. And they're saying, we want to see the things. We want to see the man himself. We want to see Jesus. What do I do with this? 
So he goes and he finds a man named Andrew. Andrew's the brother of Peter. Now Andrew is a disciple. He's just like me or you. So Philip finds Andrew and says, hey, Andrew, hey, there's some people over there. They want to see Jesus. What do we do? Andrew looks back. Oh, oh, oh. let's go ask Jesus what we do. So now there's Philip and Andrew. And I picture these people standing maybe outside of a, a room or on the other side of a wall peeking around wondering, hey, where'd those guys go? We, we just came and we want to see Jesus and then they just went and had a conversation and they walked off. And so Philip and Andrew, they go and they go to Jesus. I want to continue reading here. Andrew and Philip they came and they said to Jesus, There's Greeks that desire to see you. And Jesus told them, Jesus answered saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say unto you that unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's his answer. Now, if I'm Philip or if I'm Andrew, I hear this answer and I'm thinking, wow, that's really profound, but what about them? Do you, do you, I mean, really cool stuff, Jesus, as usual. I mean, mind blown. But they're waiting over there. But Jesus is revealing something. He's revealing a purpose, a fulfillment of Scripture. That it was written years and years and years before that there would be a people that were not this people that would come and be included. Jesus goes on to speak these things as he's responding to this request. People desiring to see Jesus. And I want you to see here in verse 27 that Jesus says something and it brings a lot of relief to me. In verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled. I want to just pause there. Did that do anything for you? It does for me. I mean, oftentimes I see Jesus as this borderline robotic individual as if he was beamed down from the mothership and I have no ability to relate to him whatsoever because there's a lot of times in my life that I would be walking through the things that he's walking through here and I would be freaking out. So when I see this, when I see what's written there, it stands off and I think, wow, I can relate to that. And a better way to say this from the scripture's perspective is, wow, Jesus can relate to me. Because that's the whole point of Jesus coming to the earth to do the things that he did, was to be able to relate to each one of us, to be faced with the same temptations, to be faced with the same trials and tribulations, and to walk through those things victoriously. So Jesus is answering concerning the world having their wish fulfilled to see him. And he speaks of the time that they're in. He says, my soul has become troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but it's for this purpose that I came. I came for this hour. And then when he said these things, 
He made this request, a request that we made this morning as we were singing together. He cried out, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came. Some thought it was thunder, some thought it was angels, but it was the voice of the Father, and he gave this as a response. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, don't lose me here. Don't, don't fall asleep or, or fall off track. I want you to stay with me. Those guys are still peeking around that corner. They've asked, can we see Jesus? And Jesus' answer is unfolding as he's revealing, it's for that reason that I came. I came so that those guys could see me. My entire purpose is so that those guys can see me. He speaks of his death. He speaks of being crucified and elevated on the cross that when he's lifted up, all men will be able to see him and be drawn to him. And this voice that declares from heaven, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again, has a wonderful purpose. Because when I read it or when I see it on the page, I feel that I'm missing something. That these words should be more powerful to me than they are. Because in the New Testament, there's only a handful of recorded times that the Father spoke from the heavens. And this is one of them. Why would He say that? Why would He say, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again? I think Jesus realizes the power of these words because He says something, and we ought to pay close attention to it. You'll see it here if you continue to read. You'll find it in verse 30. Jesus says, now this voice, this voice that you just heard, this voice didn't come for my sake, but it came for yours. I want to pause there for a second. I want that to soak in. I want you to think about it. Don't read this as if this was a one-time event for the people that were present and now we're left out. But you have got to include yourself in the yours. That that voice that rang out upon Jesus crying out, Father, glorify your name. The heavens ripped open and the thunderous voice of God declared, I have and I'll do it again. And then Jesus would stand and say, hey, don't think he said that for me. He said that for you. He said that for you. And you, and you, and you, and you. He said that for all of you. And I think we ought to pay attention to those words. That we ought to hear clearly that this is a statement that's being made with a purpose. As he says these words, he goes on to say the following. Stay with me. This voice hasn't come for my sake, but it's come for your sake. And then he reveals something so profoundly powerful that I find it hard to hear it without wanting to just stand and cheer. 
He says, now judgment is upon the world. And now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he's referring to the cross, I will draw all men to myself. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, I don't want to get distracted with this, but that statement there that now judgment has come upon this world. Some of your Bibles may say, and the prince of this world will be cast out. Referring to Satan, referring to the devil. That word judgment there is an amazing word in the scripture. It's got a a Greek form that is the, the foundation for our word crisis. Crisis. Are you familiar with the word crisis? Now, my concern is that our familiarity with the word crisis might be a little skewed because over the years, crisis has been confused or intermingled with catastrophe, right? Like if all of the sudden the wheels were to fall off of a situation or a circumstance and the bottom fell out and everything that you had planned just went south, We would call that a crisis, but that's not necessarily a good use of the word. A better word for that would be a catastrophe. But crisis, by its definition, is an issued judgment. It's a turning point. It's when things stop being this way and they start being this way. It was even used in the Greek as a medical term. A person could have a crisis in the midst of a disease or a sickness. It was the turning point where things went one way or another. A crisis is basically a fork in the road. It's turning. It's no longer going the direction that it's going, but it's got to change. Jesus is saying, everyone, the world is about to change. The world right now is knowing crisis. It's never going to be the same. It's been going this way since Adam. And right here, right here, right now, at the foot of the cross, there's a fork in the road. Now is the crisis of this world. And the prince of this world will be cast out. And if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up above the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This was his answer to that single question. We wish to see Jesus. When the world asks to see Jesus, that's his answer. And it was more than a simple yes. But it was a reality check for what was going on in this moment. That not only involved his testimony, but the witness of the Father himself opening up the heavens. Declaring, I've done it and I'll do it again. I've got news for you. The crisis that Jesus spoke of was one time at the cross. But that one time crisis at the cross puts us in a position to know that crisis daily. The city of Abilene is crying out, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We're tired of only hearing about Jesus. We want to see Jesus. 
And the same answer that Jesus would give would be given today. Abilene is in a state of crisis. A turning point. And if Jesus can be lifted high, He'll draw all men to Himself. Now what we deal with here is the need for Jesus to be present in order for Jesus to be seen. Did you hear that? What we need is for Jesus to be present in order for Jesus to be seen. Because the whole city's knocking. Champions Church, we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus has given his answer. But how can they see Jesus if Jesus isn't present? We've got to be Jesus. That may shock the ears and it may sound strange to you, but it's God's design for the body of Christ to be alive and well and active on the earth today. You and me operating as the body of Christ, each one fulfilling our part and our role, what God's called us to do, to have the body of Christ be present, healthy, living, active, and powerful right here. I want to give you a recipe for Jesus. We have any chefs in the room, any bakers, any, anyone that you know cooks, microwave doesn't count. Huh? So you know recipes, right? Take one part this, add one part that, blend thoroughly, let sit. I want to give you a recipe for Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10.38, it reads this, it reads like this. It says, you know Jesus, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Well, that was everything people had heard about. Oh, we've heard about how he heals. We've heard about how he sets free. We've heard about all of these things, but hey, we want to see Jesus. We want to see him. There's two things that are identified there as it concerns Jesus. Holiness and power. Holiness and power. You know about Jesus Christ, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and power, and then He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Holiness and power. Do you realize holiness and power, that's everything that God has brought into our lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It is. The blood of Jesus makes us holy just like Jesus is holy. If we can't in embrace that, if we can't surrender to that, then we've not come to an understanding of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That purity that has come from the blood of Jesus is absolute. If it weren't absolute, there would be no way that we could enjoy the presence of God, that we could host the Holy Spirit of God with any ounce of corruption. It would be impossible. 
But the blood of Jesus has made you perfect. Holiness and power. And then Jesus, after the resurrection, fulfills the promise that God made to pour out the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of power upon us. So now we have that second ingredient released to us, all because of the work of Jesus Christ. And with the full celebration of holiness and power, we take those two ingredients, and the result is Jesus. You're just like Jesus. And when we can live and celebrate and function in holiness and in power, when the world comes knocking, hey, we want to see Jesus, you can say you're looking at Him. He's right here. Holiness and power. Now this statement right here, I mean it sincerely. I don't mean it sarcastically at all. But by God's design. But for vision or dream, you're the only Jesus this world will ever see. It's the reason why He would wash you and purify you. It's the reason why He would place His Spirit inside of you. It's the reason why He would anoint us as the body of Christ so that we could carry the anointing of Jesus Christ and function and operate in the fullness of the ministry of Jesus Christ right here today. So that those who are wounded or sick or heartbroken wouldn't be miserable wishing that they had only been alive 2,000 years ago so they could have a touch from God. But that the hands of Jesus are still present on the earth today. They're attached to you. The word promises us wonderful benefits as we become believers, as we yield to the word of God, the impartation of the mind of Christ, the operation in the Spirit of God, all of these things leading us into the fullness of the ministry that God would call us to. And it helps us to make sense of passages that Jesus would speak that we see in the Scripture that could otherwise frustrate. Let me give you a passage of Scripture, and I want you to think for a moment. Would this be a good way for a pastor to end his church services? Okay? Now think about this, like... Would this be a good church growth strategy? Jesus has preached, and let me tell you something, He never preached a bad message. He delivers a message and people are hearing it and the Spirit of God is moving and He closes His message with these words. You can find them in Matthew chapter 5. It's verse 48. Therefore you now are to be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. How do you feel about that? I'm serious. What does that do to you? When you hear that message, when you see the embodiment of grace and truth, the fullness of God in bodily form, Jesus Christ, deliver the word of God and say, now be perfect just like God is perfect. I mean, my brain just like comes to a screeching halt. I don't know about yours. But that's where the blood of Jesus and the anointing of the Holy Spirit come in. That call to function and operate just like Jesus. I want to give you a few more passages for your notes. Philippians 1.6, it promises this. Philippians 1.6, it's Paul writing and he writes that I'm very confident in this thing. 
that the one who began a good work in you, that's God, will perfect it until the day of the Lord. That means God is constantly working on you. He's working on you through His love, by the way. It's God's love that's perfect. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, Love never fails. That means it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. There's never been a time when love has caused failure in any situation or circumstance. But it's perfect. And there's a way for love to be perfected in us. I'm going to give you a few passages of Scripture here. 1 John 4.12 If, can you say if? Yeah, if, if, it's a condition, right? If, if we love one another, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. It's a necessity for us to be connected. There's no body of Christ without us being connected. And there's a couple of indicators whether or not that love is perfecting us, whether it's working or, or it's happening. Almost like you would have gauges or indicators on the dash of your vehicle to tell you, hey, this is problematic. You might want to pull over. You might want to stop. You need to check some things. There's some things that we can check as a church. One of those things would be fear. If fear is present, if people are genuinely, or genuinely excuse me, afraid or dealing with anxiety, it means there's a love issue. And I'll give you a passage of Scripture for you to read. 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears has not yet been perfected in love. So if the fear meter is pegged, you can understand something's amiss. Here's another indicator. Our ability to do what God says to do. The Bible calls it keeping the Word of God. If we're able to keep the Word of God, you can be guaranteed some good stuff is going on. When we find that we can't keep the Word of God, there's a deficiency of the perfection that love brings into our life. 1 John chapter 4 says this, Whoever keeps His Word, whoever keeps His Word, in Him the love of God has fully been perfected. It's us. Keeping the Word of God. Revealing to the world that the love of God is functioning in us, operating us, bringing the perfection that Jesus would speak of when He calls us to be perfect just like God is perfect. Now there's something that has to happen for us to live out a perfected life. Something has to happen for us to live out a perfected life. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. It's the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 2. It's this call for each one of us to not be like the world is. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is right there. The renewing of your mind so that, can you say so that? Yeah, see, so that. The renewing of the mind produces the so that, and the so that is so that you may prove. That means live out, give evidence of what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For us to live out lives in the perfection that God's calling us to, it's going to require that our mind be renewed. That old ways of thinking pass away and new ways of thinking come. Those ways are heavenly ways. 
to embrace things as Jesus would embrace them, to have the mind of Christ, to not see problem, but see heavenly solution when we deal with anything. To not see sin, but to see the need for redemption. To have our eyes transformed, our ears transformed, our mind transformed, to see things the way Jesus sees them, so that we can be Jesus on the earth today, the body of Christ. And when those things are functioning, amazing things happen. God's given us incredible opportunity to do incredibly amazing things. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here as we move forward. There's something we must be aware of. I told you we were going to find that in today's message, and here it is. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to begin in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I pause there because I want to emphasize the importance of what's being spoken here. Spiritual gifts are an important necessity for us to function and operate. It's a necessity for us to respond to the world's need to see Jesus, to not just hear about Jesus, but to begin to see Jesus. It's not enough that we've heard about Him, but, sir, we want to see Jesus. And Paul's writing and saying, listen, don't be unaware. It's a wake-up call. Alarms are going off. Bells are going off. Focus and pay attention. He goes on to say this. There's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. A variety of effects, but the same God. A variety of works but the one who does those works being one. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now to each one, that's all of us. There aren't those that are spiritually gifted and those who aren't. There's just spiritual gifts in the believers that operate in them. It goes on to say what those gifts are. It lists them as follows. For one, it's the word of wisdom and another the word of knowledge, another faith, another healing, another the effecting of miracles, another prophecy, another the distinguishing of spirits and tongues and interpretation. But of all of these, they come from one and the same Spirit, distributing to each as He wills. Now remember the recipe for Jesus is holiness and power. We have the holiness by the blood of Jesus. We have the power by the Holy Spirit. And all of these gifts, these are the things that Jesus operates in in everything that you read in the Scripture. It's very easy for us to see Jesus as foreign or distant, that He performed these incredible acts because He was God. But the truth is, He performed these incredible things because He walked in holiness and power. The same things that we can walk in. And you won't find any one of the works that he did in any of the scripture that's not one or a combination of those nine things that we just read right there. The word of wisdom, having an answer for all of the challenges when people tried to corner him, get him to trip over his own tongue and blaspheme. But he had a word of wisdom. When people drug an adulterous woman in front of him and said, she was caught in adultery, the word says we should kill her, what do you say? 
I might have asked for a few minutes. Well, can I think about it? I mean, give me some time here, guys. You can't just barge in like that. But without any hesitation, he sterns, he turns and delivers a word of wisdom. Let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. That's a powerful word of wisdom. He knew exactly what to say. And if you look at how many times that happens, the odds of any person knowing exactly what to say all the time, pretty slim. I mean, I can't go 10 minutes without saying something kind of dumb. My wife laughed at that. God. And the word of knowledge, knowing what to do. Right? Knowing what to do. The word of knowledge, knowing what to do. Or knowing that there's a problem in the first place. You'll see that Jesus is walking and there's crowds of people and everyone's pushing on him and shoving on him. I mean, it's just a mob. And somebody would touch him and he would say, hang on a second, somebody touched me. I mean, how did he know? A lot of people were touching him. But that word of knowledge that there was a ministry need that just got met or something that needed to take place, word of knowledge is a gift. Faith is a gift. A spiritual gift. You'll meet people who are depressed, who are at the end of their rope, and through your words or your actions, you can impart faith that lets them rise above their circumstances. It's a spiritual gift. And then you see healing. Oh my gosh, we love healing, right? Healing's really the one that we stay focused on because almost all of us have had a need at some point where we needed the healing touch of God in our life or someone that we knew. But you see healing as something Jesus operates in. They brought the sick to Him. They had meetings where there were thousands of people that were all sick, diseased, with contagious stuff. And they brought them to Him. He didn't heal them because He's God. He healed them because of holiness and power. Holiness and power. The same things that we have. And then after healing comes the effecting of miracles, right? I mean, I think healing is a miracle. But then there's the effecting of miracles. That's things like, you know, you see bread multiply. Well, nobody got healed, but that was really, really awesome. Miraculous, right? To see thousands of people fed off of one little kid's lunch. Which, by the way, if you ever don't think you have anything to give, just give what you got. If that kid wouldn't have given up his lunch, everyone would have gone hungry. God knows how to multiply things. The effecting of miracles. And then the distinguishing of spirits. Now, some of your Bibles may say discernment. If it does, scratch it out and write distinguishing of spirits because I've never met a Christian that didn't think they had discernment. Right? What's your spiritual gifting? Well, I'm, I've operated in discernment a lot. Well, you'll hear that. And by the way, these gifts aren't something you have. You don't have a person that has the gift of healing or a person that has the gift of this or the person that has a gift of that. As believers, these gifts are bestowed upon us in their moment of need by the Holy Spirit at any time according to His will. And then tongues and interpretation. Tongues, they're not referring to a prayer language, which is a very real thing, but tongues involving language issues and barriers. Like people from all other nations hearing one man preach and all hearing it in their language, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, that wasn't Jesus, it was Peter. A man who was made holy by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Ghost, just like you. 
All of these things. These are the tools in our toolbox. I mean, I brought my tools and my toolbox here because I just now organized it and I would have been embarrassed otherwise. But God's given us tools to do things, to build what He's called us to build and to do the things that He's called us to do. Now, here's the thing. We need to be aware. Just like Paul said, hey guys, I want you to be aware of spiritual gifts. We need to be aware because not all the tools in this box are for the same job. I mean, I can't cut wood with this. And I couldn't turn a bolt head with a saw. I want to tell you a story before we close here about a time. It was a a service, a church service, a special service. It was in Norman, Oklahoma. I was pastoring a church there. It, It was a strong Nigerian population in the church. About half the church was from Nigeria. And they had a group that met on the the university campus. And they would have their annual praise night. They liked to use our facility. They asked if they could use it. And I said, sure. They said, wow, thank you. We've always been told no. I said, well, why were you told no? And they said, well, we were told the carpet was too new. How sick is that? I said, come wear our carpet out. Come wear it out. I hope we have to replace it a thousand times. Come wear it out. And they came, and oh, the praise night, it was great. And they said, uh, Preston, we'd like for you to, to speak. Will you speak? We have a couple of speakers, but we'd like for you to be one of them. I said, well, sure. And so the praise night was going on, and I mean, people were dancing. And I mean, these people are from Africa, right? So, I mean, I'm down there, and I'm, I'm dancing. And one time I was dancing, and an African woman came up, and she said, you know, I love you so much. I love the way you try to dance. And I thought, Satan, come out! Accuser, be gone. Yeah. But we're dancing, and I'm sweating like an animal. And I look next to me, and the guy is wearing a sweater and a leather coat. Because he thought it was cold in there, right? I mean, these people, they were Nigerian. But we're getting down, and it's awesome. And then they asked me to speak, so I stand and I deliver a word. And, oh, I mean, it really was a a good time. I mean, it was a great word for that group of people. You really felt that God was doing something. And so I I resigned afterward to my office while they were continuing to praise. And then somebody came, and they knocked. Now, here's what they said. They said, we'd like for you to minister. That's what they said. But let me tell you what they were saying. Sir, we want to see Jesus. I said, sure. I'll come minister. I'll leave the safety of my office. Having just delivered an eloquent word where everyone clapped and cheered, I'll leave the safety of my office and I'll come and I'll minister. And we went and the praise was going on and they stood me at the, you know, we refer to the front here as the altar. I mean, it's just a term. So I stood at the altar and one of the leaders of their group stood and gave an invitation and the lines began to form. It was based on the word that had been delivered. The lines began to form and and one young man came and he revealed his need. He needed to see God do something and 
his life. He wanted to be pure and wanted to, to get free from some bondage and affliction. And, and you know, it became kind of a, a counseling appointment there. It was like, well, you know, stay away from this and stay away from that and don't do this. I mean, none of it was, was bad. It was just, you know, he went back to his seat and it was entirely up to him. The next guy is in line there and he comes up to the front and he says something, but the music is so loud I couldn't hear him, so I just said, I can't hear you. And he says it again. And I say, I can't hear you. And I mean, the music is so loud. The praise was so loud. A third time he says it. And I'm pointing at my ears. I, I can't hear you. And then the music dies down. And the entire sanctuary hears, I'm deaf. Here I was telling a deaf guy, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And I just look at him for a second, and it's kind of like time stood still, right? Because, I mean, remember, he's heard about Jesus, but he's there because, sir, I want to see Jesus. I don't want to hear about him. I don't want to have more stories told to me. I want to see Jesus. And you got to know what was going through my mind in this moment. For a split second, there's absolute terror. And I kid you not, this is what I thought. Now, don't think less of me because I tell you the truth, right? In fact, please think more of me. I thought, well, you can't fake this. Seriously. This guy's either going to be able to hear or he's going to walk back as deaf as he walked up here. Well, you can't fake this. And I turn and I'm grabbing the anointing oil. And as I'm turning around, Having put some in my hand, I'm turning back toward him. And I just remember saying this to myself. He probably saw my lips move because I, I, I kind of talked out loud a little bit. And I said, Holy Ghost, this is all you. This is all you. There's nothing I can do for this man. But this is all you. And so I put my hand on his head. And I begin to minister healing in Jesus' name. You see, in my toolbox, I pulled out healing. You know, and rightfully so, right? I mean, he comes, he's deaf, and I pulled out healing, healing in Jesus' name. And I was going to continue to minister, and it just stopped. And I heard something in my heart. I mean, that's the best way I can say it. I just became aware of something. He doesn't need healing. He doesn't. He doesn't need healing. He needs deliverance. I was using the wrong tool. In the name of Jesus, you deaf spirit. I command you to leave this man. Go now in Jesus' name. You got to keep in mind the music is still going. And it's loud. And I step back and I look at him and I just say, can you hear me? Can you hear me? 
And he's wearing these devices in his ears. And I tell him, hey, take those out. Finally, I just say, follow me. And we go out into the foyer. Now, it wasn't like this foyer. It was a big, they called it the Great Hall. It's a wonderful facility. The Great Hall. We step out into the Great Hall. And I'm, I'm kind of a mover. So I walk, and he's following me, and then he stops here, and I turn around. And I remember, I don't know why, but I got about 10 feet away from him. And I just looked at him right in the eye, and I said, take him out. And he reaches, and he takes him out, and as he's taking out the second one, I say, can you hear me? And I'll never forget his face. He took it out, and he just... <gasps> And I mean the snot and the tears. He ran in there, stopped the music, grabbed the microphone, and he hadn't even gained his, his, his speed. I mean, I don't know if he'd ever heard himself, but he began to tell, you know, and he's telling people what had happened. I mean, all he could say was, the pastor prayed for me, and I thought, I didn't pray for you. I cast the devil out of you is what I did. I didn't pray for you. But all he knows is, you know, that God did something. He's not aware that there's different tools for different jobs. But he testified, and it turned the whole meeting upside down. And you know, I think Jesus had a blast that night. I think that that's something that he would love to do all the time. But I want us to be a people who realize something. That those things that we read about, we don't read about because Jesus is some alien, some distant uh, uh, being that has an authority that we don't have. But we need to see that Jesus emptied himself of all of his privileges to come and purchase for us with his blood all of his authority and all of his power so that we can be just like him. And then we ought to become aware of the spiritual gifts that Paul says, hey, don't, don't miss out on these. Don't be unaware Rather, be aware of the tools in your toolbox so that when it comes time to do the work, you'll use the right tool for the right job because God has anointed you to bring Him glory and to spread my kingdom. It's us. I told you before we're going to find out what God has given us, and I want to share that with you now as we close. Second Peter chapter 1. I want to read two verses. Verse 3 and verse 4. God by His divine power has given us everything. Will you say everything? I mean, I'm going to say it again. I want you to say it again. Everything. Yeah, that's absolute, baby. Everything. Nothing is left out. God, by His divine power, has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And He's called us to. If your Bible says by there, you can scratch it out and write to. The translation is to. He's called us to. To His glory and His excellence. 
He's made you holy just like Jesus by the blood of Jesus. He's made you powerful just like Jesus by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He's made us just like Jesus. He's called us to His glory and to His excellence. For by these He's given to us precious and magnificent promises so that, can you say so that? Oh, so that. Say it one more time. So that. Yeah, here's the point. Here's the purpose. So that, so that you, who's you? Yes, you, so that you can become partakers in the divine nature. So that you can be partners with Jesus. Co-laborers. So that you can be His body on the earth. His hands upon the sick. His voice of counsel to the broken and the afflicted. So that you can be the body of Christ. So that we can be the body of Christ. To partake. To share in. The divine nature. Now that's Christianity, isn't it? I want to ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.